What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the E4 Explosive Podcast. Today, I interview former sniper Craig Harrison. Craig spent 23 years in the military, in the British forces, in the Army, and was a sniper with, I believe, over 80, 80 confirmed kills. He actually held the longest sniper kill in military history at one point for many years. And this podcast is incredible. We talk about everything from him pre-military and pre-war in the war and post and how he's battled tremendously with PTSD and other uh, mental illness that he's, that he's, you know, gotten from, from the military, his military experience is a tremendous podcast. It's one of my favorite that I've ever done. And I really hope you get a lot of, a lot out of this one. Um, and you know, if there's someone out there that, you know, needs to hear this or see this, I really hope you listen and watch because Craig is an incredible person, a uh, tremendous motivator. And uh, it was a pleasure to have him on. So like this video, make sure you subscribe to the channel and hit that bell notification so you get notified every single time I post new content. Now enjoy this episode of the E4 Explosive Podcast with former sniper Craig Harrison. Peace out. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the E4 Explosive Podcast. I'm Corey. Today we have a very special guest, someone I've been wanting to talk to for quite a long time. And I know a lot of you guys have been reaching out to me and letting me know this is someone who I, I gotta I gotta speak to. Uh, Craig Harrison, thank you so much for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. No worries, Corey. It's a pleasure to be here, mate. Awesome. So if you can give a little background of of who you are and 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 uh, what you're all about, that would be awesome. Yeah, um, I'm an ex um, British Forces sniper. Um, held the world record for the longest sniper kill in the world. Uh, been discharged now with uh, CPTSD and uh, coping with that and uh, do a lot for mental health for veterans and um, obviously first-line responders as well. So, yeah, that's me. That's awesome, man. Well, first of all, thank you for your service. I know it's like a... Thank you. Every military friend of mine always says like it's a weird thing when people say that to them because they don't know how to respond sometimes. Yeah, it, it, do you know what? I lived in America for three years. Mm-hmm. I lived in Virginia, in Fredericksburg. Yep. And um, the veterans out there or people, yeah, thanks for your service, thanks for your service. And it came second nature, you know, people saying that. Right. I came back to England and uh, no one used to say it. And they've just started saying it now, you know, thanks for your service. You're like, ah, oh, thank you very much. <laughs> you know, I was quite shocked to hear that from a British person. But, yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's drifted over here now. So, yeah. Well, that's good. How does that make you feel when people ask you that or tell you that? Thanks for your service. It was a job. Right. It was a job to do, you know, and I try to do it to the best of my ability, the job, you know, and uh, so so me to say thanks for your service. It is a privilege to, to, I hope they understand what it meant and what I've lost. You know, that's a big thing as well. Right. Yeah, I, th- I think a lot of people have... Like when they say it, some sometimes it might just be robotics. Like, oh, I have to say this to this person, and they don't really understand like what someone like you had to endure. To no. it, it's it's really it's crazy, man. And like that, like when I say it to you and to vet, like I like I don't know. I never was able to join the military. I've had three open heart surgeries, so I was always turned, oh, well, turned, yeah, I was turned away a lot. I tried, um, but you know, I have family in the in the military and stuff like that. It served, and a lot of my friends, a lot of my friends, uh, one of them actually pass i'll talk about him in a in a minute but like i like i don't get it but i appreciate it so much man like really it's and I, you know i mean you fought in for britain right or for england right yeah yeah i did 10 tours all together so i then um i did bosnia 
I've done Kosovo, I've done Iraq and Afghanistan. Yeah, I've done all of them. Wow. Were you like fighting alongside with Americans and a lot of that? Um, Bosnia, not so much. Kosovo, not so much. But Iraq, I was when we when we went over, you know, to um, get the oil. And um, obviously Saddam was saying, you know, the Americans were next to us going across and also Afghan as well. Yeah, the Americans were there as well. But obviously we get put in a different place. Like the English will look after that sort of like part of Afghanistan. The Americans will look after that part of Afghanistan or Iraq or, you know, so we don't actually work together unless you're SF, Special Forces, um, because you have your own commitments to do on that tour. Right. Wow. I didn't know that. That's interesting. Um, so what, you were a sniper. Uh, it was yeah. a little over a mile and a half, correct? Was that shot? Yeah, uh, just over a mile and a half, yeah. That's fucking crazy. Yeah. Like the scope, yeah. is a German scope, I believe? Yeah, it's a Smith & Bender German scope. Uh, times... So if I remember at the top of my head, times five, times 15, times 25 magnification on it, times 55 magnification on it. Wow. So, yeah, it's pretty, yeah, so it's a box standard scope, basically. Right. So when you're looking down that scope, like how detailed or how can you just see the person's mouth moving and look? No. I mean, no. No, no, no. If you if you ever go on my Wikipedia page, there's mm. a little link on the bottom of the right-hand side, and it will show you a target, and it will show you the exact measurements of where the target was and where I shot and things like that to make it more clear how far that target was away. I didn't go to take them targets out because I've done it twice. I didn't go to take them targets out. I, I, I was shooting to keep their heads down because I had troops on the ground which couldn't move. Wow. You know, they were getting shot at. And these these um, insurgents were shooting at them, and so my choice was to, you know, keep their head down. Um, but it just happens that I, you know, the shots that I took, it took me nine shots to get there in the morning um, from the rifle that I had, and I hit the compound wall because there was a guy on a radio, and um, so once I sh I did that shot. Um, all the ships can't all the shit sort of calmed down, the fire sort of calmed down. And then it all kicked off again in the afternoon. And wow. I knew my distance that I was shooting on the scope. So I fired and I fired four shots altogether. And uh first one missed, second one hit, third one missed, fourth one hit, you know. And the only reason we I knew why I hit them is because we you have to try and get the weapon off them instead of it getting re-channeled back into insurgents hands you know we'd rather have it and destroy it than to go back into the insurgents hands so and um yeah i shot one in the chest and i shot one in the side wow yeah it took six seconds time of flight oh so, my god yeah so when i fired my first shot it's six seconds then i fired my second shot six seconds and when i fired my third and fourth I fired one, counted to three, and fired my fourth. So I had two bullets in the air at the same time, three seconds apart. So the third one missed, fourth one hit him. Wow. Yeah. So how do you know you hit him with your spotter? Um, I didn't have a spotter with me. It was what? just me. I had my I had my driver with me at the time, and I had to go through the spotting scope with him really quickly because this spotting scope has exactly the same graticle as my sniper scope. So wherever he goes, oh, yes, yeah, 
three or more dots to your left, I'm going, yep, there's a target, bang, there's a target, bang, you know. Um, but no, I, I just had to, I just had to do it myself. You know, I had to lob them bullets in, but I call it a fluke. Right. You know, I call it a fluke, but everyone goes, yeah, you did it twice though. That's two flukes though, isn't it? So, well, <laughs> I guess, well, I think I, I watched a video of you and you kind of explained, which I never knew this either. The, like the spotter is the better sniper and then the, the person pulling the trigger is a better shooter. Yeah, so the, the number two, you're getting one and a two. One would be behind the rifle, two would be doing the calculations. Mm -hmm. And um, he usually is pretty good at doing the wind, biometric pressure, the altitude and stuff like that. So he's pretty good at doing that. And he'll, he will give you the reading to put into your scope so you can shoot. And uh, number one, usually you've got to steady your hand to do so. But um, yeah, I was on my own. I was on my own with my driver. So you do both. Yeah, do both. Yeah. Damn, that's fucking crazy, man. Yeah. Like, and so you had to go and recover the weapons too. Yeah, yeah. But basically, if you take a target out, try and get the weapon if you can, mm -hmm. you know, because then it just emigrates back into enemy hands again, you know, and then you've killed two people, but you've lost that weapon system, you know, because weapons were very highly prized uh, to the insurgents. So. Sure. And so, like, let's say you t you took out those people, you know, did, you know, did you go get those particular weapons and to go see them and confirm that they're dead? Yeah, it's like I said before, you know, an Apache helicopter came down next oh. to me, and I could see the pilot, and I and I sort of like pointed over to where I was shooting because I had to get my men off the ground, wow. you know, because they were pinned down. Some right. of them had been injured as well, so I had to get them off the ground. So I'm thinking in my head. You know, I'm in charge of these guys. I'm going to have to get them off the ground as quick as I can, you know, because injured as well. You don't want him to start going into cardiac arrest or, right. or go something even worse. So we drove over and the bodies were still there. And that's where I knew where I'd shot them, but the weapon had gone. And as we walked behind the compound, there was a massive rat run. Um, so they've took the weapon and gone into a rat run and just fucked off. Wow. Yeah. So then you kind of knew like their what they were doing behind that. Yeah. That wall. Wow, yeah. It's fucking man. And this is in Iraq or Afghanistan. Afghanistan. <sighs> yeah, a place called Talijan. Yeah, wow. it's north north of Musakala. Wow. That's yeah, shithole. <laughs> shit. Yeah, man. All that. I feel like all that. All that's just a shithole, especially now after twenty years of just fucking shit up. Mate, you know, you think what we done in Af Iraq? You think we done in Afghan? And then we just pulled out and let the Taliban have everything. What was the justice? What was the point? Right. You know, we achieved absolutely fuck all. Right. Just a lot of body bags we filled. You know what I mean? And that's a and that's a shame. Yeah. That's a deep shame. Yeah, that's you know? the, that's the consensus. Every time I talk to like my SEAL friends and my my military over here, they're like, "This was." tragic the fact that like yeah. they especially you know us pulling out like how i did leaving all those weapons there and all that stuff like and now you see all this stuff like sharia law is in place and the taliban is just like running rampant doing whatever they want and it's oh awful. yeah for sure and, and, and they promised like when they got into power that women can still go into education right um they can still they don't have to wear a burqa they wear a headscarf you know and then it all fucking changed it all yep. changed it's gone back to where it used to be wow so what do you think? A lot of money happen? wasted. You think anything's gonna happen of that? Like, oh, great, we got to go back in there and 
do something about it or we're just going to let them leave them alone no, let them do it let them do it if you think since they've taken over power of afghanistan there's been no terrorist threat has there right you know there's there's, there's been nothing so they've got what they wanted you know they've got a rat now and they went through Syria, destroying everything in Syria, or the monuments, the Greek monuments and everything. And now they're in Afghanistan and they got everything back they wanted. So Jesus Christ, man. Yeah. That's so fucked. Yeah. And how fast they went across everything. Yeah. You know, and how fast it all happened. But right. that's beyond my pay scale. So yeah, no, same. I don't even want to go there. Well, yeah, so, yeah. so um I definitely want to talk about a couple of things, uh, specifically the PTSD. You know, you talk a lot about the transition from, you know, military to civilian and the difference of the civilian and military PTSD. Obviously, mm-hmm. people in the, you know, civilians have PTSD, whether it's like abuse or emotional or a car accident or something like that. But I really don't think it's kind of the same. Um, yeah. You know, because you're signing up really to go do this shit. So, like, I feel like, Take me back to when you signed up and like, were you, you kind of knew, yeah, I'm going to probably see some shit, but did you ever think that it was going to be like this taxing on you? No, I didn't. I signed up to become a farrier, like a blacksmith um, to put horseshoes on the horses. In the military? That's what I signed up for um, because I wanted to get a trade, you know, out of the army and there was no, apprenticeships happening in civilian street. So mm. I joined the army because I was riding horses since I was five years old mm. and I loved horses. And I just think I joined the household cavalry because the cavalry has a ceremonial side, which protects the queen, which run horses and uh, the armored side, which is based in a couple of miles away from the ceremonial side, a place called Windsor. And um, I thought, I just want to get a trade. But it never happened. It never happened. Um, when I first joined the forge, where they make all the shoes and all that, was old school, you know. And if your face didn't fit, your face didn't fit, right. and mine didn't fit. Um, so I never became a farrier. Um, so I requested to go to the armoured side in Windsor, wow. which I did, and I excelled from there, you know. And a couple of couple of years of just doing normal soldiering. Um, I had a chance to become a sniper. I took that opportunity and I just excelled from there, you know, tour after tour. Wow. So, so a couple of years in and you already found your niche as far as a sniper. Exactly. Yeah. And, I, and in my mind, I never, ever fought a PTSD, never right. fought a CPTSD, never thought of it. I thought, go and do your job, you know. And I remember my first tour that I came off. I walked into this room and there was a lady officer there and she goes, how do you feel? Yeah, I feel fine. Okay. Off you go and leave. And you're like, ah, okay. And you just box it in your mind, what you've seen and what you've done, you box it and you just, you crack on, you get on with it, you know? Um, but when I got blown up in Afghan, uh, my last tour, I think all them boxes that I was storing up just shattered and I just couldn't stop everything that I've seen from Bosnia, Kosovo, Iraq, and Afghan just came flooding forward. And I had no control over it. Not even when I closed my eyes, I could see things and I didn't know what was wrong with me. My wife spotted it first. She, you know, because I was isolating myself, um, sex life, I, I didn't want to know her at all. Um, 
and I just wanted to be on my own. And I was thinking of suicide all the time in my head. I wanted to end this pain in my head so much. And, but I, I just shut up about it. I didn't talk. And then the army noticed it. The army noticed that my soldiering skills were suffering from me trying to control what was going on in my head. And they sent me off to a hospital to get checked out. And they gave me all these tests and I got diagnosed with CPTSD. And, um, and from there, it took me serving 23 years in the British Army. It took me half an hour to get kicked out. Wow. Yeah. What's CPTSD? What's that? Chronic, chronic PTSD. So there's like a, another level above. So basically, PTSD is post-traumatic stress. Mm -hmm. So if you're walking down the road and you get hit by a car, and then you're constantly thinking about you getting hit by this car, that's PTSD. Mm. That's post-traumatic stress. I've got loads of symptoms you know, um, I close my eyes, I think of Kosovo. I close my eyes, I think of Iraq. I close my eyes, I think of Bo uh, Bosnia, you know. And that's because there's loads of different PTSD stuff. Right. And that's where CPTSD comes from. So it's just constant. And it's just like, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you were talking about earlier about um, PTSD, civilian to army. Mm -hmm. But you think I, the best way I can describe it, if you think of a train track, you know, and you're going down that train track, but you're level because PTSD is PTSD. It, it's a it's a mental um, illness, right. you know, but there's army and there's civilian. They never cross because you can't compare them. Right. You can't compare them, but they're level with each other down this train track. And that's 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 how you work it out, you know, and, and that's how you can think that they're not the same, right. but they're level. You right. know? No, that's that, that's a great way to explain it. I think, yeah. you know, like I was saying in the beginning, I feel like a lot of people don't un truly understand, obviously, since they've never been through it. But there's there's the the other side of this, at least in America, this has been a huge problem uh, with our veterans. And it's whether it's homelessness, whether it's drug addiction. Um, I particularly had a, a childhood friend that died in 2019. Um, sorry. He was a sniper in the Marines. And I mean, the, story, the letters he would write to us when he was... Uh, over there was like fuck man like what the fuck and then he got back home and um you know he was he had ptsd and they gave him you know pills to take care of it that's also when all of the you know the pills here were really fucking people up even average yeah. people that didn't need it and um so then he he couldn't get them anymore uh, and he ended up looking for other things and, and got in um, a lot of trouble. And he robbed uh, a bunch of businesses to get money. And he was serving, he was, he was looking at 25 years in prison. Um, and the judge looked at his military, uh, his service. And I, they were like, I can't, like, I know you did some awful things, but like, you also did these things for your country. They gave him not even two years. They gave him like 18 months. Mm -hmm. um, and so then he gets out. And, you know, he's doing fine. And, and then he gets back into whatever demons he had. And then he got into drugs and then he ended up dying of a heroin overdose for fentanyl. Fentanyl killed him. But like, I, I don't attribute him dying from a fentanyl overdose. I attribute him dying from being a sniper in the Marines. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Without a doubt. Yeah. And I'm sorry for your loss. I'm oh, so sorry for your loss, mate. You know, I, and it's it's hard. I've had friends, you know, that have um, 
took their own lives and it, it's hard. Right. You know, there's one incident where um, I haven't really talked about it really, but um, I was, I was snipering um, in this um, it, FOB, it's called a forward operational base. And I could spot three IED layers and um, I shot middle of the night this was. So I'd, I was I know, 600 yards. I shot one because I saw the light go out, but I saw the other lights go mental in the sky. So I'm, they're running around thinking, yeah, fuck. Fuck, where the fuck did that just come from? So this is at night, night vision. Night vision. 600 yards away. And you're, and you're talking yards. about people who are laying IEDs on the ground. IEDs, okay. yeah. Right. And um, I, I obviously hit one and then the others just disappeared. Wow. And it turned out that where the track was, where they were digging the IED, there was a ramp like a little ledge and they laid it in the low ground. So in the morning, the convoy came through and hit the IED and the lead vehicle, the guy was on his feet walking in front of the vehicle, got blown off his feet. Now on that tour, he got blown up about six times off his feet. He was fine. There was nothing wrong with him. You know, he was just, he thought, fucking hell, that was lucky. Dust himself on and get on with it. And then um, when we finished this tour, he um, was on a lot of medication, the same medication I was on. And we used to laugh about it, thinking, fucking hell, we're on the same medication, mate. Right. And then um, he hung himself um, New Year's Eve. And I blame myself for it. Because if I'd have shot them over two guys, that IED wouldn't have been laid Right. And how do I know that that seventh time he got blown off his feet didn't push him over the edge? Wow. You know, no one will know that. Right. No one will know what was going through his mind. And so I live with that. I live with that as well, you know, thinking that what if. Because right. the army always teaches you the fucking what if. You know, what if I did shoot them other two guys? What if this? Would he be still be here? You know, and I live with that as well, and it's horrible. Yeah, I'm sorry for that, man. That sucks. No, it's no worries, mate. I know it's so. When you guys are joking about those things, are you guys talking about like? Because I know now, I'm I'm assuming that you've had a lot of therapy. You're learning about yourself. You're learning about how to cope and deal with things. Yeah, um, better than you were before. Is that something that you look back on now and you're like, "Fuck, I really wish I would have like had that conversation or this conversation with myself or with other people." What before everything happened, sort of thing. Yeah, kind of like how before them boxes. I mean, well, I think like you said, when those boxes kind of shattered, like that was like it just downhill from there. Yeah. Um. Yeah. You know, but because you're constantly dealing with those things, you don't even have time to really, I feel like, work on yourself no. and stuff like that. You know. No, because I boxed everything up, and you move right. them so fast. You know, you don't really get to think about things. It's when you're when you leave, mm. and everything slows down. And you feel like you're wrapped in, you call it cellophane or cling film? Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, you feel like you're wrapped in there and yep. you're suffocating, you can't get out, and everything's just bombarding you and you, you, you can't stop it. But people ask me, would, what advice would I give myself back then right. if what I knew now? I, I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't really? change I'm, I'm damaged. You can't help getting damaged. You drop a plate, it's going to break on the floor. 
you know what I mean? I'm damaged and I've saved a lot of lives and I've done a lot of things, you know? And if I wasn't there doing that job, people would have died. Right. You know? So it goes back to that what if again. Yeah. What if I wasn't there? What if this didn't happen? What if that didn't happen? You know? Yeah. I feel sorry for my wife more than anything else. Right. Because it's always the partners that, like we interview here and I've done other podcasts, but it's the partners that suffer. They suffer. My partner definitely suffers from secondary PTSD, you know, backlash with my misery about my upset and things like that, you know, and it's hard for them as well. Yeah. So, but yeah, I was going to ask about your wife. Cause I know you, you talk a lot about her on, on the oh, podcast that I've seen. And I mean, I can imagine how amazing she is, you know, because I feel like a lot of military people from what I, it's, it's a, it's a transient community in a lot of places, at least over in the U S where like people, you know, they, they get married young they do a lot of things young and then yeah. they don't last because a lot of this stuff that happens, the, the, the other half is just not ready for that. It's exactly the same in the British army. Okay. Lads get married, they get married young, you know, the wife is, they've got a house, you know, everything gets paid for. They got a wage coming in. The husband goes away all the time. So they're not on the doorstep all the time. They're not, you know, you're not seeing each other all the time. And then once you leave the army, you're with each other 24 mm seven, -hmm. you're under each other's feet. And then that's when the stress happens and that's when you break up. So it does take a special kind of woman or, 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 or a male partner to, um, to, to stay the long haul, you right. know? That's a good yeah. point. I, I never talked about or thought about like when you, cause you're right, you're away for so long. And mm. then my dad was in the Navy. So he was on aircraft carriers for six to 12 months at a time. Yeah. And then like, it's like, okay, well, and I, anyway, that's like my, my dad had a stepmom or my, my stepmom, whatever, but my parents divorced when I was five. But anyway, in your particular situation, I feel like people don't talk a lot about, like you said, like you guys are like kind of just really getting to know each other when you come yeah. back. Yes. Yeah, plus it. all that shit that's added on when you were gone. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard. It, it It's hard now, you know, how long mm -hmm. I've left the army for and it's hard now, you know, due to low libido, because right. of the medication I'm on, we sleep in separate rooms because I have really bad night terrors, you know? So we have to be strong as a couple. If you haven't got that strongness, you know, me sleeping in separate rooms, having low libido, she could fuck off anytime she wants, but she doesn't because we are strong and we love each other. And that's unique. And that's rare. People say it's rare to have, you know, and I, I do anything to, you know, to keep hold of her, keep hold of her because like I said, she's been through it as well, mm. you know, when I go away watching stuff on telly, the propaganda stuff and mm. things like that, and you know, and then you come home safe and you, then I get blown up and then oh, it's just never as in roundabout, you know. Right. I, mm. You talk you talk about two particular stories in the, the interviews that I've seen you. One is the dog story. <laughs> Man, like... If you don't want to talk about it, you don't have to. But no, no, no. I feel like it It gave you, every time I watched it, it's like, fucking A, man. And then the other one was when you called your wife on the roof. That was like insane, man. So it, could you could you talk about those? Yeah, we'll talk about, we'll talk about both and we'll put them in order. Um, right. I was in a, on this roof and 
we had to protect this prison. Well, it's not a prison, it's more like a jail yeah. next door. And there's only 15 people at this place um, where we were on the roof. And it was called the P-Jock in um, Iraq. And we had a, you have a thing called a sat phone um, or a paradigm phone, it's called. And you get a card with minutes on and you can phone home at any time. But you've only got a certain amount of minutes for the rest of the month sort of thing, you know. And um, shit hit the fan, basically. The the the, the um, and where me where me and my number two were, we were getting targeted all the time. We stuck out like a sort of um, you know, it's meant to be a sniper hide, but I was just stuck out. It was like having a balcony and you're just sticking your head above. So mm-hmm. we had to move from there, and um, they just try to overrun us because what they wanted to do is get the insurgents out of the jail. That's what their main priority was. So from probably 11 o'clock at night to 5 in the morning, it was just fucking gates of hell. You know, it was just fucking full on. The point where we were pissing on the barrels of the, not the sniper rifles, but the heavy machine guns, trying to cool them down as quick as we could. We couldn't get a amount of water on there. We're pissing on them. And we were using cooking oil because we ran out of gun oil to lube them up. You know, we had the chefs up there firing um, because we were just getting overrun. We needed more hands on deck than than we had actually there. And it was like everything paused. Uh, do you ever see the films where somebody's standing there and all, everyone's just rushing? Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, you see them in the movies, don't mm-hmm. you? The lights and all that. That's what happened. And I thought, I've got a, I've got a gut feeling. I've got a really bad gut feeling. So I went down and I phoned Tanya and um, she said, what's that noise? What's the noises? I said, don't worry. Don't worry. Everything's all right. And I said, I love you, you know. She goes, yeah, I love you too. And I said, I'm going to ring you in the morning. I promise you I'm going to ring you in the morning. And she went, okay, I believe you. What's the noises though? I said, no, it's fine. A bit of trouble. But I love you. And I never regret meeting you. Never. And um yeah, I um ended the call and then went back to the fight and I rang her in the morning. And I wow. said, I love you. And and I don't think to this day now she realizes what what was actually going on, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then, um, and then we go to Betsy, my mm. dog. She passed away in June this year. Yeah, this year. Oh yeah. man, I'm sorry. Yeah, and um, ripped my heart. Ripped my heart out. Um, yeah, I was in living in America, and Tanya went back to England, and um, she was there for three months, and I was on my own. And I was just stewing in my own misery, you know, and got to the point where I got a handgun and um, it was a Hecklen Cock 45, H&K 45. Yeah. And there were like um, 45 hollow points. And uh, and I was practising where to put this gun on my kitchen room table. So I put it there, I just put it in my mouth, under my jaw, everything. And I was going, I just... 
I can't do this anymore. So I put one round in, and I cocked it. And where my dining room table was, my kitchen table, it backed onto my sofa, my couch. And Betsy was on the back of it. And she looked at me dead in the eye and she moved her head. And then she went that way. And she just looked at me. And I was choking on this gun. I was, you know, I took it down to the second stage. I was going to fucking do it. And I just took it away, put it on the kitchen room table, unloaded it. And I picked her up and I just fucking hugged her, hugged her. And I remember her licking my face, like, like she's wag, wagging her tail, licking my face, everything. Yeah, she saved my life that day. Yeah. Saved like my life. She knew for sure, which, yeah. Yeah. Dogs, man. Like, yeah. Fucking A. That's insane. Yeah. She knew. Wow. And we were inseparable. Right. Inseparable. Yeah. If I didn't marry Tanya, I would have married Betsy. <laughs> <laughs> you know? But yeah. Oh, but man. yeah, she was. Um, and she died of old age. She was 19 when she passed. Wow. Yeah. So I was with her when she passed. So, but yeah. Deeply, deeply fucking missed. Yeah. Deeply missed. I'm too scared to get another one. Right. Because I don't want to replace her. Right. You know what I mean? But yeah, it's hard. Yeah. No, that's yeah. animals. Animals are hard, man. That's something, you know, it's like, because you do you have children? Um, I've got two daughters. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. How yeah, they're they? well old now. They've gone flew in the nest. Really? So yeah, there's I think one's one's twenty five, the other one's thirty four. Wow. So, what do they do? Um, one's a nursery nurse. Uh, no, both nursery nurses. Wow. Yeah. So they're good. So you and Tanya have you have? They're stepchildren from. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah, because Tanya was married before. Right. Damn. So, but I count them as my own because I brought them up. You raise them, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fucking. Oh man. It, so, and I hate like even bringing stuff like that, man, because I know it's hard to relive that stuff. And I, I imagine you do that. You, like you said, you relive things all the time, I assume. Um, yeah. 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 What's like a day to day for you, man? Do you know what? I get up my daily routine. I get up at half three in the morning. I go to the gym. I start work because I've got a full-time job. I start work at um, half six. So I travel to work after being to the gym. And then I work nine hours. I come home. And then it's eat, sleep, repeat, isn't it, really? Right. You know, and if I'm having a really shit day, I don't bring it home. I don't bring it in the house. I sit in my car. I scream. I shout. I've got a book. It's about this fucking thick. And in this book is the most vilest thing so you can imagine. And I write things down in this book. If I'm pre-in and write, I write it down. And I write over it again. Then I write over it again. And I keep doing it until it's nearly nearly gone through the paper. You know, and I, and I close that book. That's, that's in that book now. It's trapped in that book. Wow. And then I come into the house and I go, hi, babe. Give her a kiss. Everything quite? Yeah, good. Yeah. So basically, I just put on a mask and then I crack on my day. And then I go to bed about nine o'clock, half nine, and I do exactly the same. And then the weekends, I've got a survival school called the Maverick Survival School, which I teach bushcraft. And um, I do that at the weekends. 
for veterans and first line responders like the police or the fire brigade or the ambulance drivers, you know, um, who suffer from PTSD and they come down and um, they learn bushcraft or just to get away and sit in a wood. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Be one with nature for that short period of time, that, you know, two and a half days, you know, and yeah, it's work wonders. So right. that's awesome, man. Yeah, That's like your escape and your, your outlet. Yeah, teaching others, teaching others, Mm -hmm. you know, and somebody with PTSD, talking to somebody with PTSD helps. For sure. Somebody without PTSD who just learned it from a fucking book, Mm -hmm. teaching somebody from PTSD doesn't work Mm -mm. because they're not living that life. They've never had a night toe in their life, you know? Yeah. They never had a flashback or this or could smell something. They never had that because the book doesn't give you that unless it's scratch and sniff, right. you know. But having somebody who suffers from it works wonders, yeah. yeah and like yeah. I said, I teach people who have, um, with normal PTSD who have had bad childhoods. Now, we go back to that train track. We're still level. Mm-hmm. We've still got PTSD. They can still talk to me and I can still talk to them you know, because we still suffer from the same thing, right. not the same reality, but it helps. It helps. Right. Yeah. No, I can imagine. Yeah. Cause it's kind of like, if I don't, if I've never experienced that, you know, why I don't, I want to hear from someone like you, like if I was experiencing that too, especially from the military, EMT, yeah. and police, you know, when go back to the, when you're on that roof, man, how the fuck did you guys get out of there? We, <laughs> We killed them all, basically. Really? Yeah, they were coming. And where there was a massive canal going through the middle of the town and it had really steep banks and they were just climbing up. And funny enough, we could hear these massive dings all the time. We're freaking, and we couldn't work out what they were. Ding, like hitting a church bell. Right. And in the morning um, when all the dust settled and we were, you know, some injured lads, we're taking care of them. And we went downstairs to where the fight was happening and, and the market was open and people were stepping over dead bodies, dead donkeys and dead what. And the market was open like nothing had happened. And we found out like we had um, four fuel cans, you know, the, the um, well, the fuel petrol stations that with, the big yeah. Oshkoshes. And they were trying to hit him with the RPGs. So the dinging was the RPG rounds hitting. Trying to blow y'all up. Yeah. But because they were old school RPG rounds, they arm at a certain distance and they weren't arming in time for them to hit the fuel cans. So yeah, we're fucking lucky. Tell me that's not a, that's not a fluke. No. And they were scattered everywhere. There must've been about 15 of them scattered everywhere. Honestly. Yeah. We had to call the EOD coming yeah, get rid of them all. Yeah, to explode. Yeah. What yeah. the fuck? That's yeah, insane. Crazy. crazy. That and is then we stopped tough. and we looked back at the building that we were in and it was just peppered. Riddled. Fucking peppered. And we're like, ah. We sort of look at each other and going, how the fuck do we get yeah. out of that? You're like, check it yourself. Yeah, yeah. Thinking, how the fuck, you know? Wow. And yeah, that was a, that was a busy night. Yeah. So was it just two of you on the roof? Or did Two you snipers, like a- and there was seven other guys on the roof. And because there were 12 
Were there 12? There must have been 12 fighting soldiers and the rest were all clerks and admin staff and they were gathering and burning stuff in case we got overrun. Right. And we were fighting upstairs. For like intel. Roof. Yeah. And how many insurgents do you think? You probably are getting endless. I wouldn't know. Over 100. Under over 100 odd. Yeah, it's fucking ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Oh yeah. my God. Yeah. Wow, bro. That's fucking yeah. insane. That did any did all of you guys make it out? People got shot. Right. Uh, but everyone made it out. Yeah. Everyone wow. made it out. That's incredible. Yeah, it was fucking horrendous. Oh my god, dude. I feel I swear to God, when I talk to you guys, I'm like, I feel like such a fucking like this big man, you know, because like the, the, that's just like oh man, I don't even know what to say. But I'm a I'm not a religious guy at all, but I'm a big believer in fate. Mm. And I choose my career and fate from what I'm doing now to help others. Your fate, you can help having a heart problem. Right. Right. And your fate is now you're giving the news to everybody. And right. that's your that is your life. So everyone's mapped out and where they go. Yeah. You know? Military's not for some people, military's for people. Right. You know? So don't feel this small. You should feel fucking this big because what you do is help others as well. Damn, man. I need you to hang out with me every day. You tell me that. Yeah. That's like, God damn. I appreciate that. Um, no worries. Dude, um, what was I going to ask you? What do you do now? Like besides, you know, I know you help with the veterans. Like you said, you have a nine to five. Like you just. Yeah, nine to five job. I just work in a factory, wow. you know, and they, the management know what I've done and do. But I just keep myself. I work in a corner on my own. I put my earbuds in and listen to music and I make parts and um, and that's all I do. And I work for the day, you know, I work. So I start half six, finish at four. I work for them days, you know, and once I've finished, I'm gone. The door's shut. Yeah, I don't bring anything home. Right. So. Do you find like, uh, you know, cause you're in the military, man, you got camaraderie, you got brotherhood, you got purpose, you got all these things. And then you go from that on for 20 plus years to, like you said earlier, civilian job and just the kind of, you know, the mundane things of life, man. Like you said, like, like I said, you know, it's fucking hard. It's hard because you struggle with purpose, mm. you know, 23 fucking years, 16 years old when I joined the army. Wow. 16. And I did a whole year's training and I joined the regiment when I was 17. Then you're not deplorable until you're 18 and so on and so on. And the bubble gets bigger. But I managed to do 23 years, you know, and I, I'm crawling now because you're running a thousand miles an hour in the army. You've got a purpose, either horses looking after him or you're snipering you've got different tasks to do missions this training everything everything's like this it's, mm-hmm. it's fucking brilliant absolutely brilliant and that's why it takes a strong woman because my wife it was always army first wife second mm. always and she admits that and now i give all my time back to her but yeah i'm crawling now i'm crawling and don't get me wrong i sit at the end of my bed at half three in the morning and i go Here we go. But as soon as my feet hit the floor, I am fucking committed. Mm. 
committed, committed to go to the gym, committed to go to work, committed to provide for my family, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I've got issues. I have got bad issues, you know? I've got chronic PTSD. I've got a brain injury from where I got blown up. I got shot in the helmet as well, you know, in a contact. I've got a suffer of migraines. I have mood swings, everything. But I put that aside because tomorrow's another day. And I'm still here. I'm still here. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, man. Do you still get those, you know, that the Betsy situation? Do you still feel like that? Do you still have those? Every day. Really? Every fucking day. Every day. I suffer from a thing called suicide ideation. Hmm. So I think of it in the morning, I think of it at night, all the time, all the fucking time. And the only person that I'm here for in this world is my wife, Tanya. That's the only people, because I was here for Betsy and everything, you know, because I haven't got a family. But my wife is my rock. Some days I look at her and I, and I don't realise she understands, you know, when I stare at her. I don't think she understands how much she does mean to me, but she keeps me on this planet and I love her. I love her to the day I, well, to the day I die of old age. Right. There you go. We yeah. say, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. That's, that's kind of, that yeah. goes like to the fate thing. Like she's like, I mean, think about it, man. If you didn't have, you know, Betsy's gone, if you didn't have her, like, I mean, that's incredible. Yeah. But trouble is my wife knows when I'm wearing a mask. Mm. She knows, she knows that I scream and shout in my car. She knows that I come in and I'm going, ah, yeah. Mm -hmm. and, she, and, you, and I know if I could read her mind, she would go, and that's fake. Right. Do you know what I mean? But she doesn't because she knows she works with me as wow. I'm, you know. That's so rare, man. Like, she's a special, special, special person. That is crazy, man. Cause like I told yeah. you, like, it's, especially here, it's not like that a lot of times. It's yeah. like, it's too much. It's, it's, I've had it, I've, yeah, I've had it with friends as well, Corey. Do you know right. what I mean? Where they lift the army with PTSD. It's too fucking much. Like my number two, mm -hmm. you know, he's just been discharged and his wife's left him. His kids have left him because he's got PTSD, you know, but all I can be there is be there for him. Right. You know, right. and when it comes to the, the suicide stuff, it's, it's chronic, it's fucking chronic. Because I always think to myself, I, I've got no purpose. Right. I've got no purpose. And then Tanya would turn around and she goes, do you know what, Craig? I'm your fucking purpose. Mm. And then she kicks me back into check again. And I'm thinking, okay, okay. Wow. That's incredible, man. Damn, you're yeah. fucking... Oh, man, that's like... I watched your videos and like talking to you is like two different things, man. Like hearing <laughs> from you is like incredible and and you know i i i think i don't know how they do it over in the uk but a lot of a lot of veterans here are getting a lot of help with um psychedelics um okay are they experiencing or experimenting with that stuff out in uh, i'm not in sure a lot of people on my instagram go try mushrooms great right, try yeah. this or try the ayahuasca ayahuasca yeah DMT. yeah try that and stuff yeah. like that but i'm scared of losing control mm. you know because i'm on medication now, my medication, now, if I ever spoke to somebody who was getting charged, discharged out of the army with PTSD, I would say, go on to medication. 
go on medication. But because the medication is not the fucking answer, but it gives you that equal balance. Right. It lets you program yourself. It lets you function through the day, you know, and it helps me. There's downsides to it, like the Bido, um, fucking migraine sometimes. You know, there is a downside to it. But I'd rather be walking on these two feet than under the ground. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's kind of what I was going to, you know, I like the pharmaceutical stuff is, like I was telling my buddy earlier, it's like it, it took him a down a different a different yeah. path, but yeah, nasty. you know, that's what I figured. It's kind of like a regulator almost where it's like at the yeah. very least, you know, where your baseline is, if that yeah. makes sense. So in, in, in England, we get a medication for free veterans do. Right. So, but I know in America, you got to have insurance and then you pay a copay mm-hmm. and then you do this, you do that. And then they can stop it it's anytime, fucked. you know, and that's when people like your friend, bless him, right. goes on to harder stuff. That's right. And then shit happens. It doesn't happen in the UK like that. Could you get your medication? So, yeah. So you're always good in a way, in a sense, in that sense, like you're covered. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Wow, man. Well, I'll, you know, a couple more things to talk about your, your, no worries, mate. Talk away. Right. Yeah. I wrote a book. Yeah. Called the longest kill. Yeah. So, um, you want to talk about that for a second? Like like why the Americans did a YouTube um video of me on youtube of doing my world record shot you should look it up of course we did and they have me laying down um but when i did my shot i was stood up um and i was leaning against a um a wall um when i did my shot and um but i couldn't write the book just on that shot because it'd be like a pamphlet right so my ghostwriter and me came together and we said why don't you just write about your life? Because what else have you done? And I said, I've done this, I've done that, I've done that. And he goes, fucking hell, put it in the book. The book was about this fat, oh all right? And then it goes to a solicitor or a, um, a lawyer, and they have to proofread it to make sure that you're not dropping anyone in the shit or right. this official secrets acts. And the book went down to a normal size book. So the, he said, this you can't put in, but this you can. Sure. And I thought, okay, yeah, no worries then. So... Yeah, cool. and it's um, and it, it turned out all right. It's still selling now, so I'm right. very blessed, very lucky that it's still selling now. Yeah, that's awesome. And the the shot you had up for, was it 2010 or something to 2017? Uh, 2010. But like, how long? So you have the longest shot, or or no, no. Oh, apparently, uh, Canadian broke it. Um, he had a 50 cal. Now my rifle only goes 1500 yards, and he had a 50 cal, and his. The way the story matches, you're thinking, hmm, is that feasible? Right. You know, because my distance, and he had the same scope as me, but I couldn't even see. Couldn't see anything. No. See it really, and yeah. he said he, they were in a group of 10 people, and he shot that person. Wow. And I'm like, ah, okay. All right. You know, I'm not going to. Records are there to be broken. And we don't go into combat to break records. No. We go to save lives and do a mission. Right, you know, and now they're apparently Ukrainian, has um, in the the war in Ukraine, shot a Russian, just just above my record shot, wow. you know, but when you see his sight picture, his target's about this big, like a normal size, right? So it's questionable, what scope are you using, mate? Right, to get a nice clean picture like that because mine. Was like a pinhead. 
Right. Well, that's you know what I'm saying. I, mean? I feel like that's the difference where it's like, it, it might be the same distance or a similar distance, but like what you're actually seeing, that's got to hold a lot of weight. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And like I said, if you go into the Wikipedia bit, mm-hmm. you'll see what there's two, two pictures, one of it full magnification and one of it where I was on um, times 15 by out to shoot. So that's fuck it. And, and also too, like having, you know, by, by yourself, basically doing yeah. it. You know, I think there's a lot of other things that go into into play with that stuff. That's fucking yeah, yeah, yeah. man. Well, I'm glad the book's still selling. I'm I'm gonna uh, pick it up. It's on Amazon, I assume. Yeah, it is, mate. Yeah, it's on audio as well. The guy that does it. I don't know. I'm not don't know what the guy's name is, but he's got a husky voice. And he sounds you didn't pretty... do the audio? Why? No, I didn't. I'm, I'm a bit dyslexic, so I'll be going. Ah, uh, uh, <laughs> hey, we <watch> shit. Listen. <laughs> I I love your uh, accent. Your I could listen to your voice. I really appreciate. I like when authors do the voice unless if you're like stephen king or something like that but like yeah yeah you know because it's i don't know i mean you got to really is, is he english uh yes he is yeah okay all right so at least yeah. i get that all right yeah man that's fucking that's cool i'm gonna, I'm gonna pick it up on amazon for sure i'm, I'm more of a audio visual learn i fucking i have everybody i've ever interviewed i have their books and like I'm, I fucking hate reading bro like, yeah yeah audio is the way forward mate hell yeah hell yeah, yeah. Oh man. So, you know, 23 years in the army, what did you do before? You said, yeah, you, you don't have a family. You seem like it's just you and Tanya. I don't forget. I had a mom. I've got a brother. I've got a I mom. obviously have a mom, but yeah, yeah. But I, I don't, I don't speak to him anymore. Mm. You know, uh, family feud and yeah. this and that, you know, and questions not answered that I wanted answered. So, so I just took myself away from that. I didn't want the negativity. Sure. Um, so in my eyes, I've just got me and my wife. It's just me and my me and Tanya. Wow. Yeah, I, yeah. I, similar situation on my end. Um, it's but better like, at Christmas as well. What's that? It's better at Christmas oh, as well. Stop, man. <laughs> Fucking hundred percent, dude. Yeah, it's like me, uh, her, and Boomer, our dog, our pit bull. Boomer. That's it. Yeah, That's it's it. like I'll take this all day. You know. Yeah. So how was like you growing up and stuff? Like you know, were you into sports? You're a pretty fucking healthy looking guy. Yeah, I did a lot of um, little triathlons. So I was riding, mm. shooting, swimming, and running. Um, did like a triathlon like that. I did right, quite yeah. a lot of that when I was younger. You know, very blessed. Blessed. I had a good upbringing, you know. And sure. um, I just stayed fit, really. I've just always been fit, always running around. It's in my head just to keep going. Yeah. You know, and I think I took that mentality into the army and I just excelled into my fitness. Wow. You know, n- never last, you know, course, always yeah. first, always second. Right. You know, you got to be there. Right. So, What's like the, um, you know, have you thought about doing this kind of stuff like as a career or, you know what I mean? Like, I know you talk to people and stuff like that, but I feel like your story is so incredible. You have such a good message. You're so well-spoken. You ha- I don't know that you have a lot of those attributes that, I see people that are super successful that don't have those things. Yeah. You, yeah. you know what I mean? But do you know what they'll call you, mate? If you sit in a wood with me, right, and we talk like this, mm-hmm. your whole attitude would change. Really? Yeah, you know, you'd you'd go, what oh, fuck it. I mean I love it. I love this. This is what it's all about. Instead of me talking on a video, right, seeing me person and sitting there in front of you talking, you know, and that's majority of people come to see me 
you know, and learn the bushcraft stuff mm-hmm. as secondary to some people right. because they want to experience and me to talk to them, mm. you know, and it helps, you know, it helps. Yeah. Do you do speeches? Do you go to places and speak? I've done, I've done one after dinner speech. God, I was shitting myself. Because, really? Yeah, yeah. I was, uh, it was in a, a rugby club and it must have been about 120 people there. And I stood up and I introduced myself and then I just just started talking and then it started flowing and then it flowed more and more and more. And I was going, fucking hell. And at the end I got a stand innovation and I thought, You're fucking like, hell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, what's going on? I just talked, <laughs> you know? And yeah, it was really good. Really That's good. awesome. Man. I, I would encourage you to do more of those things. Cause like I yeah. said, you have all Thank those you. attributes you had. You're so well-spoken. I feel like you would do so many great things in that space. Um, you know, and one last thing uh, before I let you go was you talked about, you know, when you are looking down your sniper scope, you basically build like a scene or you give these people names. Yeah. And can you talk about, can you elaborate on that? I was kind of like, all so right, basically so like, if you're in a yeah. position for a sniper is sustainable on the ground mm-hmm. for 72 hours max or 42 or 48 hours. Right. You know, that's when you're sustainable on the ground. That's from the amount of stuff you carry water, ammunition, everything that, you know, so when you're there, and you're laying there and you've got something to look at, instead of you getting tired, I used to make stories up, you know, especially in the heat of Afghan or Iraq. And somebody come out of their compound and he was the target. I'll call him Bob. There's Bob. He's going to feed his chickens now. There he goes. Out comes his wife. God, she put on some weight since last time and stuff like that. I just make a little story up in my head right. and basically it keeps me sharp, keeps me sharp. You know, I don't like, I'm not on the scope like this and go, oh, fuck. Right. I'm, Cause I'm constantly looking all the time. I'm looking for that story mode, mm-hmm. you know, and it keeps me going. It keeps me awake. And then you get the call, take, take your target out and you think, all right, I've got to shoot Bob today. <laughs> You know? story end of story and the yeah. story yeah. yeah that story end oh, i had to kill bob yeah it's like <laughs> wait what damn yeah. do, do you feel like you get a connection with these people or you're like this is just a job you 50 50 50 50 it's a job you know and i don't look at them as people i look at them as targets okay you know because once you start looking at them as people you start questioning yourself mm-hmm. and you're questioning what you're doing you know, but if you think of them as targets and think about what good you're doing, mm. you know, you're going to achieve your mission. You're going to achieve your goal as well. Right. Yeah. Okay. Last question. Yeah. How are you doing today? Truly? How are you doing? I'm okay. I am. I struggle. Struggle, yeah. struggle, 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 struggle. But do you know what, Corey? I'm still here. Right. You know, and I'm very thankful for my wife, for 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 letting me be here, still. And I do struggle, and I don't, I don't fucking, I don't coat it with glitter. I fucking struggle every day. You know, thought of suicide this morning, thought of hanging myself this morning. I thought of 
when I took my pills just today, my painkillers, I felt like crushing them all up, taking an overdose. How easy would it be? But do you know one thing? If I didn't have Tanya, yeah, I would have done it. But then I would have infected somebody else with my misery mm. because somebody's got to find you. Now that person's infected. Now that person's suicidal. Now that person does it. And it's like Donimo's. Right. You start infecting people. But if you stay strong for yourself and for your family, no one's going to find you. You're going to stay solid for yourself. Like I've always said, as soon as your feet hit that ground, you are committed for the day, committed for the day to do today's tasks. And that's what, that's what life's about. Damn, man. Is that, and that's what you would tell someone, like an yeah. advice to someone who's, who's struggling right now. So if you're struggling right now and someone's listening, what would you tell them? Talk. Fucking talk. And I always say to people, Can't get hold of me on my Instagram. C-O-H Craig Haverson on my Instagram. Find me. Don't matter what, if you're American, you're Canadian, you're whatever around the world, I will talk to you. And I'll give you advice to how you're feeling. Medication, if you can get hold of medication legally, and it helps. It helps the pain. It helps the pain. But talking is massive. Men have needs to break this stigma that it's wrong for men to talk. It's wrong for men to cry. Fuck that. I cry all the time. And it releases a lot. Right. It's like throwing up. It's releasing all that emotion. So people need to talk. Women, children, men, they need to talk. Especially men need to break the stigma that they can't talk. And like I said, two feet on the ground, you're fucking committed for the day. And you, you do that day and you do it to the best of your ability. That's advice what I'll give. Yeah, man, I got it. This is going to be in the back of my head, man. You're fucking, ah, you're incredible. You really are, man. And I really appreciate you coming on and, and responding to me and coming on here and delivering this message and, and everything that you've done. And thank you again for your service and everything no that you've, you've put in and, you know, God bless you and Tanya. And I hope, you, you know, you keep putting those two feet on the ground, like you said, man. That's it. That's it. I had a friend who, um, big runner, big runner. Mm -hmm. His missus left him and he put on so much weight, so much weight. And I met him and I was like, ah, fucking hell. He's put on a bit of pounds and he told me what went on and he's lost interest. Mm -hmm. But now he's back running because he does that ethos that I said to him. Put your feet on the ground. You're fucking committed. Go mm. for a run. What else are you going to do? Right. You know, and now he runs now and he's back in shape. Right. You know, that's fucking awesome, man. That's so what it's all about. Where can people find you on your Instagram? I'm on Instagram. Yep. Um, C-O-H um, Craig Harrison on my Instagram. Mm -hmm. Find me. Um, I've got the Maverick webpage, themaverickssurvivalschool.com. Log on to there, and then you can talk to me via there as well. And my book's out on Amazon, so you get hold of that. That does a lot of uh, mental healing at the end as well. So, But people need to talk more. Men need to break the stigma. That's what it's all about, Corey.
Yeah, man. And all those are going to be in the description below. And I will yeah, say no like the, my podcast is a huge advocate of, of mental health. And I talk to psychologists and psychotherapists all the time and I'm always pushing therapy. It's, it's a, it's a very good tool and having someone to talk to, whether it's in therapy or someone like you just reaching out is extremely important. So I really appreciate you echoing no worries, man. that message, man. That's cool. Awesome. Well, that's another episode of the E4 Explosive Podcast and we'll see you next time.